Lynn. Welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Tuesday, June 30th, but honestly, let's just call it July 1st, because we're here today to celebrate Canada Day. I'm Jay Skeets, and alongside me, wearing his red and white, Tass Mellis. Oh, baby, it's great to be here on July 1st. We got the bearded one, our honorable Canadian lumberjack, Trey Kirby. Hey, oh, hey, hey. oh. oh. Got the international man of mystery, taking it to the Max Convenience Store, Lee Ellis. <laughs> Friends. Mm. And making the magic happen while sipping on a Caesar because it's before 11 a.m., JD. How's it going, eh? Hey, Hoser. We got a special guest today, guys. He's a staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Toronto Raptors. He reps the 519. He's a good old Canadian boy. It's Blake Murphy. What's up, Blake? What's going on, guys? How are you? Good, man. Very excited to have you on here because we got something pretty fun in store for today's podcast. Tomorrow, July 1st, it is Canada Day, which is a holiday to celebrate the country, show off our national pride. So I reached out to Blake late last week. We had a little um, a little Twitter brainstorming sesh over what we could do, Blake, to celebrate the big day. And we decided, well, it could be pretty fun to look at the top 10 moments in Canadian basketball history. And... Here's the fun little twist to this. Blake, you actually wrote this bad boy up. The actual article will drop tomorrow, right? On July 1st on The Athletic. Is that correct? Yeah, when you wake up July 1st, it'll be up. Okay, I love that. So this, we can look at this as a podcast exclusive. Is that that fair? Absolutely. Okay, good. The other wrinkle to this, the rest of the boys here, the young boys, uh, Tass, TK, Lee, JD, you guys have no idea what the list actually is, so you're going to be hearing it and reacting to it for the first time. Um, so this could be fun. Uh, I'll introduce each moment here on the top 10 moments in Canadian basketball history. Blake, you'll explain your reasoning, maybe go through the, the details behind it, and then the rest of the guys can sort of ask questions, debate where it is on the list, what's to come, and all that. Is there anything we need to know in advance, Blake, before we jump into this list? The only thing I'll say is that when I when we brainstormed and... Skeets, you, you helped me out with this, and I tagged in uh, Doug Smith, Ryan Wolstadt, and Laura Ewing as well, uh, nice. just to make sure you know a few other Canadian uh, Canadian media voices made sure I didn't uh, didn't miss anything. Um, what I did is, you know, we could have ranked like 50 moments or something like that, so I tried to kind of group similar moments together. So you might see, you know, one of the the moments being ranked may have something to do with the Canadian women's national team. And that will, in an honorable mention section, have other moments from the Canadian women's national team um, rather than, you know, they hold three spots in the top right. 20 or something like that. So some, some similar events uh, will be grouped together and, and then, you know, we can debate which one should have represented that group better. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not like a one through 50 ranking of each individual event necessarily. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Let's get into it. It's the top 10 moments in Canadian basketball history at number 10, gentlemen. James Naismith invents basketball in 1891. Blake, we wouldn't even have the other nine on this list if it wasn't for Naismith, but he comes in here at number 10. What's the reasoning? Yeah, I I mean, the first thing is you... Your sport's probably not very good if its simple invention is the best moment in the sport's history, right? A a good sport being invented means that 
great moments are going to follow. Uh, he also, I, I docked James Naismith a couple of points here because he <laughs> technically created the sport in the United States. He, he created it in Springfield, <laughs> Massachusetts, yep. which began the Raptors-Celtics rivalry 129 years ago without, without knowing it. Um, he did get bonus points for Skeets. You reminded me of the Heritage Minute about basketball with the, the man on the ladder and the peach baskets. Anyone here in Canada has surely seen it a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. Tass, Tass, do you remember that commercial? Oh, uh, you, you said that Canadians have seen that a thousand times. I think we've mentioned that a thousand times yeah. on this podcast <laughs> over the years. The man gets up on that ladder with the broomstick pokes it right through that peach basket and it pops right back up to James Naismith who I think he yells no dribbling yep, yep. just pass that <laughs> pass that rock now, it wasn't called a rock back then it was it was too smooth it was too smooth to be a rock back then it was just a nice piece of leather no uh no grips on that thing way back then what's but what's number nine the zipper Number no, eight. No, uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> the Canadians invented some great stuff. Was James Naismith a fake Canadian? That's my question. <laughs> Blake, because like you said, the game, it's invented in the States. Yes, he's from, where's he from? El Monte, Ontario, Almonte, right? El Monte, yeah. yeah like where they tiny. held the Jurassic Park during the Raptors finals run, by the way. Oh, oh, really? There's like, how many people live in Omaha? 4,000 or something? <laughs> Who, didn't, uh, our Ben Gulliver uh, wrote a story about oh, yeah. he went to Almonte, right? Yeah, that's true. Ben Gulliver did. I think there must be like a little museum uh, there, yeah. you know, in, in honor of James Naismith. But I just say he's a fake Canadian because I've never heard James Naismith really, you know, beating his chest how Canadian he was back in the day. I just want to say it, okay? It feels a little fake to me. Spent a lot of time around old James, huh? Yeah, I mean, I will say, uh, based on his uh, Canadian encyclopedia entry, he was a five-sport athlete at McGill. Okay. So, you know, he at least has the uh, the Canadian collegiate athletic background. Okay, all right. Uh, Lee, what do you remember of James Naismith, or what do you know of him? <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning it all right now, yeah. No, he's the guy who just invented basketball, and he uh, invented the first, uh, he wrote the first book on basketball, I believe, right. as well. He so, the rules, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. No, look, he, he uh, deserves to be on this list for sure. A little unlucky to be number 10, I would say, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if it wasn't for him, then uh, who knows what sport we'd be talking about right now on this crazy podcast mm. on, a, on, a, on a Tuesday morning. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's... He's synonymous with basketball and with Canadian uh, Canadian basketball, I guess. Yeah, I like. Yeah, you had to get him on this list. I think you you did put him in the right spot here, Blake. You you got you got us started here. And again, none of this, you know, the subsequent uns wouldn't happen without him, really. So this is good, perfect. Let, right. let me let me ask Trey something. Being the uh, the lone American here on on the call, do you think more people think James Naismith is American than Canadian here in the U.S.? Oh, guaranteed they did. Yeah. The basketball was invented at a YMCA. You know, there's nothing more American than a YMCA. Right. And, uh, you know, he's very associated with Kansas as well. I think you're going to be opening some people's eyes, the fact alone that James Naismith was Canadian, even if, if he even was a fake Canadian. But, you know, like, uh, you know, we will take James Naismith. You guys can have Matt Bonner. I think it's a I, fair trade. Look, I want to see his birth certificate, okay? That's all I'm saying. I'm not and, convinced. And Skeets, didn't, we went through this. Wasn't his, the, his James Naismith's grandson's grandson, like his oh, great, 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 great <laughs> grandson at the first Toronto Raptors game in 1995? That's exactly right, Tass. He, uh, I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't know what, what level of grandson he was or how, what the actual relationship was to James Naismith. But yeah, they, they brought out, I think his name was Jeffrey. 
Uh, he was wearing a tie, young kid at the time, to throw up the uh, inaugural ball there for the first game in, uh, in Toronto Raptors history. Yeah, good call, good memory. All right, next one. Number nine on our list. Anthony Bennett and Andrew Wiggins are selected number one in the NBA draft in consecutive years back in 2013 and 14, Blake. Yeah, I know this one because of the names and the fact that those number one picks haven't exactly uh, delivered on that number one pick status is, uh, you know, it's not the picks themselves necessarily, but what it represented about the growth of uh, the Canadian talent pool. Um, Obviously, uh, there was not a really long history of Canadians being drafted in the NBA. Leo Routens actually paved the way back in 1983 as the first Canadian to be taken in the first round. And then, you know, Tristan Thompson kind of pushed it a a level further in 2011 as the first lottery pick, fourth overall. But, But this, a Canadian being taken, not just number one overall, Anthony Bennett, but in consecutive years, um, was kind of this signpost that, yeah, this this kind of first wave of Carter effect Canadian mm-hmm. basketball talent uh, was coming. And, you know, Corey Joseph also went in the first round in one of those years, and you started to see the number of Canadians in the league swell. Um, you know, in the honorable mention section here uh, in the article, I also mentioned that, you know, one of, one of the ways we could have gone with this one is the six Canadians being selected in the 2019 draft or Michael Mulder becoming the 22nd Canadian in the NBA this year. Uh, I, I opted for Bennett and Wiggins because being the number one pick is so high profile. This one's really about the growth of Canadian talent in the sport. Mm. Michael Mulder out of nowhere. Did Canada invent the X-Files as well? <laughs> <laughs> 519 legend Michael Mulder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this one is tough, though, because of the names, like you said, especially the Anthony Bennett. Right? Let's just be honest. It's like, uh, you know, obviously had a super disappointing injuries came into play a little bit, but getting cut left and right there and, and not turning into any sort of number one pick. Like, a lot of people think he's maybe the biggest bust, right? In NBA yeah, history, he's on yeah, the short I, list. Yeah, I mean, who's worse than him? Who's been worse than him as a number one pick that's actually played? Like, not really. I mean, Kwame was nowhere near that bad. Mm. You probably say the candy man before anybody else, but yeah, but even candy was candy. Yeah, he played a little. I mean, the thing with Bennett is no one had even heard of him really. I don't think either. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, we knew about him a couple of years before the draft, and there was no real shock when he went number one. But Bennett was a shock to everybody, including Bennett on the night. Yeah, and this one, this one's kind of had an impact on the way people perceive Canadian talent too. I think, like I've done. You know, prior to my time at the Athletic, I, I did a feature at one point on R.J. Barrett uh, about him coming up as the next prospect, and the response was basically just like, "Oh, here we go again! Yeah. You know, another Canadian at number one that's not going to deliver." And, and even like, like Canada has one of the top teenage prospects in Elijah Fisher, and he's already starting to get some of that too. Um, it's it's almost you know kind of backwards that it's the Canadians who have been drafted the highest that haven't delivered. Meanwhile, all these underdrafted <laughs> or undrafted Canadians are, are kind of pushing the league for you know jamal murray and and shea were were high picks still but you've got i think six or seven undrafted canadians in the league so the the number one picks have not done uh have not done a great job representing uh what they're (laughs) supposed to stand for here i admit yeah no you're absolutely right yeah 2018 you wrote the title was blake the world's best middle school basketball player and he's in toronto middle school the kid's like what 13 or 14 years old elijah yeah i mean look i'll be completely honest i wasn't like the most comfortable writing a a story on a a 14 year old but it was part of this big series on 
um, you know, the the high-rising youth that Vice was doing at the time. So I went out to the prep school and, like, sat with him and his coach and his teammates right. and stuff. Um, it was cool. I, I obviously, in the back of my head, I was like, this kid's 14 years old. We don't know what he's going to be like at 17, let alone 21. And, like, already, like, he stopped growing as much as people thought. And that's oh. changing. But, like, at the time I did that story, he was, like, 1-2 with, with uh, Brawny as, like, the, the top <sighs> – prospects in that class but wow. it is like it's ridiculous that we try to project these things out that far for sure yeah yeah do we do we have an update on him on, on fisher like do we i guess he's only what 16 now <laughs> yeah he's still just uh, got his license yeah he's still a ways away from being on the prospect radar you know maybe if they if they change the uh the one and done rule or something like that but right now he's class of 2023 is the expectation so he's a, a while away Okay. Yeah, Tass, the question with this one, I think, is, is it more impressive, like, would you give more weight to Tristan Thompson, like Blake said, being the first Canadian lottery pick, like going fourth overall, very high in 2011, or, yeah, the number one nod in back-to-back years, even if the guys have not, you know, flourished in the NBA? I'm going to try and stay away from insulting these guys because they are the number one picks, these last two, in the best basketball league in the world. I think we have to remember... That part. I mean, that is pretty incredible uh, when right. you think about it. I, I just, when, when I think about all those guys, I sort of just lump them all together because I start thinking about the Carter effect uh, because those guys were in their, definitely their, uh, their young years. Anthony Bennett was about five when Vince Carter was drafted and Andrew Wiggins was only three. Uh, these guys were impressionable at, at that age. And so um, three, probably not three, but as Vince Carter got a, a little bit older, that is the Vince Carter effect in Toronto. And, and I yeah. know I speaking from our experience you know, growing up in Toronto, uh, like Lee said earlier, if Naismith doesn't invent the game of basketball, what are we talking about here? I know if Vince Carter isn't drafted, I ain't talking about basketball right now. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't come to Toronto, is Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett or Tristan Thompson a basketball player? I doubt it. I, I doubt all three would be uh, in that category. Uh, not to take away from their athletic nature or their drive and all that, but that, that's where I, my mind goes before insulting their uh, <laughs> inability to be the best basketball players in the world. They are, yeah, they're they're incredible. Uh, you know, at their sport. So I think you gotta let's zoom, let's zoom out for a sec and remember how great they are. I'll also add, uh, no one is going to care about this but me, but I actually think Anthony Bennett was going to make the, his way back to the NBA and make the Rockets this year until he suffered a knee injury in camp. Like, he was one of the best G-leaguers the last two years, mm. and, like, it seemed like he had a real shot to make the Rockets. He That that spot that Bruno's in now could have been Anthony Bennett. Well, still believed in Bennett, but, uh, yeah, he had the knee injury. You're absolutely right. I was just going to say, hearing what you were talking about there, Tass, it sounds like if Vince Carter never plays for the Raptors, that you and I with JD would have started the Hockey Jones mm. podcast. And where would we be now? <laughs> Talking Leafs, let's go. Get in the corner, fight it out. All right. During, during, if it was a pandemic, we would definitely have a series on foot hockey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Blake, you played foot hockey growing up in Ontario. Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah. Every okay. recess. Okay. And now, now what did you do? Did you, I assume you played with sort of either that orange sort of puckish ball or a tennis ball, right? Yeah, we went tennis ball, and the goalie equipment was just like you took your windbreaker off and used that wow. to try to stop the Thank ball. you. Thank you, Blake. <laughs> this is what I've been trying to tell everyone for the last couple of weeks, and everyone says I'm crazy. What do you mean you used your coat as the you know the goalie equipment? That's exactly what we did. Your schools were soft. No, you don't need a, man. You don't need a jacket. Oh, Get in front brilliant. of the ball. Brilliant. All right. Number eight on our list here. 
The Toronto Raptors' first home game, 1995. You already talked about Jeffrey Naismith throwing the <laughs> throwing the ball there, Blake. Yeah, you, this one this one seems like an obvious one. You slotted in at number eight on the list. Yeah, it was either this or the the expansion Raptors upsetting the 72 and 10 Bulls. Um, you know, <laughs> yep. I, it, D- Doug Smith suggested that we go with the first home game for the uh, the weight of it, and I am not going to. Uh, argue Canadian basketball history with uh, with Doug Smith. So uh, we go with the first home game, which it kind of feels incorrect that the Raptors won their first home game. They also they held the Nets to 79 points, even though they ended up being like the second worst defense in basketball that they year. They won and their out- first game one, and they're like, that's it for the yeah. rest of the <laughs> franchise history. We're never winning a game one ever again. Yeah. Uh, Alvin Robertson, first basket and a 30-point game. Oh, I know. Yeah, this is always a fun game. Let's throw this at ta- let's throw this at everybody. So let's see if we can get to all ten because I think that's how many Raptors played in the game. Let's let's name that inaugural Raptors team in Game One versus the Nets. Let's get with the starting lineup. Tass, you start us off, and then maybe you might need some help. Who knows? Who knows? Well, let's start start us off with Mighty Mouse. Damon was the point guard. Damon yep. Stoudemire. Yep. Was Zan on the team? Zan. Zan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. John Tabak. Yeah. John. John. Yeah. Sounds like Alvin. we got an Alvin in the house. Alvin Robertson goes for 30 <laughs> points, seven boards. Uh, Simon and Theodore round, round out the line. <laughs> who else uh, we got? So uh, on the wing, who was, who was the three? Yeah, was Tracy go. Murray on the team then? He no. was. He came off the bench. Came okay. off the bench. Great. He played. Keep going. Blake, you can play too unless you just know them all off the top of your dome. I looked at the box score when I was writing okay. the article, so okay. I feel like that's, that's cheating. Did Carlos Rogers get the start at the four? Oh, he sure did, Tass. Yeah. He sure did. <laughs> I think, well, did he start the three or the four? Uh, it's, Ooh, it's debatable, I guess. So he another, probably started big, the, another big. Yeah, another big. Another big. Another uh, big. He's got a great look. I don't know if he ever oh. actually took the court in a regular season game for the Raptors, but we've talked a lot about Vincenzo Esposito over the years. <laughs> no. Was he there? <laughs> he didn't play. He played like 35 <laughs> games all off the bench, I do believe. Uh, I think uh. it was Ed, Ed Pinckney, right? Yes, Ed Pinckney was starting. Got 24 it, minutes. Uh, was John Sally an original member of the Here we go. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. 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 Yep. So him and Tracy Murray off the bench. We need three more. Three more. Oh. Three more. Uh, Trey, one of whom was the, the second leading scorer in this game. That's right. That's right. Also, once went for 50 points. Is that right in a game? Am I crazy for saying AC that? AC Earl? 40. Yeah, AC Earl. Yeah, Did AC 40. go for 40? Yeah, 40. Uh, AC Earl came off the bench, uh, like Blake said, at 16 points. Good game for him. Two more. Uh, Trey, ironically, because I know you're a fan of this college team, you should get one of them here. Mm, Jimmy King? That's right. Ooh, Jimmy yeah. King played nice. seven minutes. He didn't score. And one more. Um, you know, if I were to lick my finger and put it in your ear, I'd be giving you one of these. <laughs> no, so. not, not, not Willie Anderson. Wet Willie Anderson, <laughs> oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought he came a little bit later. Nice. Yeah, he, he uh, played off the bench in that first game. Didn't have a good game. Probably had the worst game, actually. One for seven he, he shot in, in that. Hard that to win focus win. when your ears are soaking wet. Really disappointed to see that Wet Willie Anderson is not one of his nicknames on basketball. <laughs> <right. laughs> yeah, maybe just because I came up with it right there on the spot. But we'll make Add sure it, it in. gets up there. Yeah, we'll get it up there. So here's my question um, moving forward in this list. Are we going to see any Vancouver Grizzlies, um, you know, love on the top 10 moments here? Uh, no, they get a dishonorable <laughs> mention on this one, actually, for leaving for Memphis after six seasons. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think they, they had any kind of defining moments or high watermarks. Like, almost all of their history is just, de- like, it's more depressing than the pre messiah era Raptors, which is really hard to do. Yeah, I know, like, Lee, or anybody, Lee, like, is there... 
if you could legit pick one Vancouver Grizzlies moment, I don't even know where you would start. Yeah. Like, what would you pick? Uh, Besides, maybe their first game, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think who was even like their, you know, best known player. Like, Sharif I know three, Yeah, I, I guess, guess so. Yeah, I guess 3D told us a few stories about living in Vancouver when he played up there, which were <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, <laughs> maybe not for the uh, podcast. But at uh, number seven on our list, Dennis <laughs> Scott talking about the time he played for the Vancouver Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah, there's not yeah, a lot to pick from. No, Are their uniforms, maybe. Yeah, yeah. that's maybe yeah. the best thing. Maybe uh, the but, uh, that big country uh, finding. Big Country, the documentary yeah, that they yeah. released. You see that, Blake? Yeah, I did. It's great. That's a fantastic. I love that documentary. It's really well done. Um, yeah, not a lot and to shout, from. Shout out to Derek Martin, one of the few players to play for both mm. franchises. Nice. Good call. Oh, yeah. Maybe a Naismith Cup uh, game would have made it or something like that. Okay. What about what about Benoit? Don't call me Benoit Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. At number seven on our list. Steve Nash wins consecutive NBA MVPs, 05 and 06. This is coming in at seventh on the list, Blake. Yeah, there are some pretty big national team moments coming up on the list, and Nash was involved in some of those. So th- this isn't Nash's only uh, appearance on the list. But I think I think what was huge about Nash's MVPs is that um, you know Vince Carter obviously got the country and the city more excited about basketball than they ever had been. And what Nash did, I think, especially for the generation of players that followed, was, you know, that representation that a Canadian can reach the highest levels of the sport. And to this point, you know, there have been some some solid Canadians in the NBA, but never anyone who was at this level right. of, of dominance and of star power and really in terms of how he changed the game. And I think, you know, I, I know people aren't, in retrospect, aren't fond of his 0405 MVP nod over Shaq. But if you go back and look, his 0607 season when Dirk won the MVP was like even better statistically. And maybe he just didn't get the third in a row because people didn't want to give him three in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. But this one's, you know, this one's as much about Nash as his impact on the game. And, and not just here in Canada, but in the NBA entirely. And you look, you look at the way a point guard's expected to play now and, and spread the floor with their own shooting thread. And, you know, the, his dynamism as a playmaker and the way the Suns kind of changed what a modern offense was going to look like Um, Nash's fingerprints all over the game at the NBA and national level any concerns gentlemen with uh, Nash coming in at seventh is it too low for any of you guys I mean I was expecting Steve Nash's double MVPs to be a little bit higher on the list he's one of only two Canadians to have been an all-star so I thought that alone would put him in the top five my only criticism about Steve Nash has always been that he's a little bit too Canadian if he would have shot more like a good American he could have been Steph Curry 10 years earlier but no he wants to involve everybody and be nice and build teamwork and chemistry and be a good guy. <laughs> yeah, no, no surprise that he made it. It's interesting you mentioned about the 0607 Blake because I actually agree with you. I think that was his better, his best season um, when he was most dominant. But I think because he'd won two in a row, people were like, "There's no way we're giving this little white guy three MVPs. It just, it just cannot happen." Um, because it just, you know, it's one of those things. It's the narrative and, and, and voter fatigue comes in as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when you look at that first season where he won it, I mean, you know, purely from a number standpoint, 15 points and 11 assists a game. I mean, that they're tiny numbers for an MVP of the league. Uh, you know, he improved again in that second season. But that third one I thought was great. But, you know, it's, it's also interesting just how he ended up in Phoenix. I mean, he was great in Dallas, but Mark Cuban thought he was, he, you know, his back was going to play up and not be uh, an effective player for the rest of his career. So he didn't want to 
to pay him. And uh, he goes out there and, and, you know, leads the Suns back to the playoffs, wins the MVPs. And Mark Cuban has talked about how he regretted that now. <laughs> but based on the information they had at the time, they were like, right. uh, I don't, we just don't think his uh, back's going to hold up. So sad. So sad. It, it, it is true how crazy it is, those numbers, when he got to 06, 07. A point guard shooting 53% from the floor. And as Blake said, they're leading the league in effective field goal percentage for a point guard. But it, it's true what Trey said. And I, I know that's definitely one of Steve Nash's regrets is that he wished he had a little bit more curry in him, especially being as accurate a shooter he, as he was. He never got to 20 points per game because he's just too nice a guy. Uh, and, and maybe if he took over a little bit more, you know, who knows? I'm not. Well, let's not retrospect the uh, the Phoenix Suns days. Um, but yeah, I, I know that's that's. If there's any regret, I, I, having listened to Steve Nash the last few years, it's definitely uh, not being a little bit more stuff like to boost those numbers and and take some pressure off his guys. But yeah, the numbers are ridiculous when you look back. He can win an MVP or two. He he earned it. I have to uh, point out here in this article. A dishonorable mention. Blake writes that you, Blake, <laughs> did not win MVP when your team defeated the No Dunks crew in the semifinal on the way to a Raptors Republic Tournament Championship <laughs> on the Air Canada Center practice court back in 2013. Y- you blew my mind. I can't wait for people <laughs> to read this article because you uh, you had like... Um, there's a there's a link to a photo of us. The guys, the Basketball Jones team at the time... Uh, all uh, playing in this tournament. Do you remember this, Lee? Yes, I do. I, I don't remember how it ended, though. Like, did we make the final then? We lost in the semifinals oh. to to Blake's team. Blake, yeah, you guys, uh, yeah. you got revenge on wow. us. Revenge on us, right? If I remember correctly, because we beat you in like the group play or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The four of you guys and my friend Trevor. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> Trevor and I were bo- were both playing, and like because I was organizing, I wasn't really, I didn't know if I was even gonna play. And then like there were two teams that needed a, a fifth guy, so uh, Trevor played with you guys, and I played with the, I coasted as the fifth man on the eventual champions. <laughs> oh, Trevor Smith, Trevor Smith, the ringer. He threw our yeah. team. Yeah, he was uh, good. Trey Kirby, uh, I remember, was great in the group stage too. I think you had a game winner in one of the games, TK. Not surprising. Yeah, classic, <laughs> classic. If you were Canadian, that would be number four or three on this list. Sure. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but uh, I guess since Nash is here, that means we aren't going to be getting specific Steve Nash moments in the future. For me, I would add 2010 when he has basically one eye and eliminates the Spurs by going crazy in the fourth yeah. quarter, just bleeding everywhere. Iconic moment. Oh, yeah. I also had, uh, as an honorable mention, one of my favorite Raptors games I've ever been at. When he got... So, 2007, uh, January 2007, they gave him the Lionel Conacher, like, Canadian Athlete of the Year Award before the game. And he had, like, a pretty mediocre game and then completely took over in the fourth quarter. And the entire (laughs) Air Canada Centre crowd was cheering for him instead of the Raptors. (laughs) I loved... I mean, everybody knows my love for Steve Nash, but... And, like, how much impact he had on my love of basketball. But... I do love those memorable, somewhat rare, like memorable moments, games in playoff situations or even just regular season games where, like you said, Trey, he became sort of uh, more of a Steph Curry-like guy where he just shot more and took over games. And it's because they were so, they were somewhat so rare that when he went for 30 or more, it was like, oh, this is special. This is, this is, he's actually looking for a shot and he's seeking it out here instead of always trying to be the setup man. And oh, I love that when he sort of just oh, like yeah, snapped that was a little awesome. bit. And it just, it just felt like, you know, he was an incredible shooter and finally he's embracing 
being the scorer that he is. I mean, sometimes it was the team's game plan to kind of make him a scorer so that yes. he's not hooking everybody yep. else up, which is kind of strange to think about since it's just completely uh, opposite of the way that Nash played. But yeah, when it was takeover mode, that was that was fun times. And number six here on the list. Oh, a little international ball. Miracle on Hardwood at University Games in 1983. This one I think you're going to have to explain for probably the guys and the listeners out there, Blake. Yeah, I had to do the research on my own because I was not born in 1983. <laughs> um, this was another one where, you know, Doug Smith uh, heavily suggested this one. So I went I went digging uh, in the CBC archives and, and found a, an old interview with Jay Triano when he was the coach of the Raptors uh, talking about this. So um, this was, again, the university game, so maybe not quite on the level of other international competitions. But right. you look at this U.S. roster, and not only did they have uh, Ed Pinkney, who we just mentioned <laughs> earlier, uh, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Kevin Willis, uh, wow. Johnny Dawkins, who at one point was the all-time leading scorer at Duke. So a loaded U.S. team that went 5-0 and in the group stage with an average margin of victory of almost 60 points per game. <laughs> in the semifinals, in Edmonton, Canada upsets them 85-77. Uh, Jack Donahue coaching that Canadian side that included uh, Jay Triano and, uh, and Bill Wennington. Um, and then to take it one step further, you, you know, the miracle on hardwood is the upset of the U.S. in the semifinals. To take it one step further, Canada then also upset Drazen Petrovic's Yugoslavia team in the gold medal game, 83-68. Uh, so they take home the World University Games title on home court uh, with two massive upsets in a row. Yeah, this one's amazing to me because even though, and, and Tass, tell me if I'm wrong, like we're growing up, basketball fans, I had no idea about this. Like you never, you never heard about this in when any sort of Canadian basketball moment or even just sports moment, Canadian sports moment, were being talked about. I didn't know about this. Did you? No, the university yeah. games, I guess, just weren't on the uh, the radar. Just just like college basketball in the in Canada isn't necessarily on the radar up there. I like Blake. I was introduced to this sort of through Jay Triano because he was. Um, you know, part of the Canadian coaching circuit and got to the NBA. And I just knew he was a fireballer. And so I heard about that. Uh, you know, he played with along with, with Paul Jones, I do believe. And uh, yeah, he was, he was a guard. Was he, was he Steph Curry before Steph Curry? I mean, he was, a, he was, he was a six footer, but he liked to let it fly. If I, I'm not sure if he went through the box scores there, Blake, but I think, I think he liked to let it, let it rip. I could not find box scores, but yes, that's the impression I have of Triano as a player was he did not have the same uh, humility that Steve Nash did when it came to <laughs> shot selection. Well, let, let me ask you this. Is there even footage of this stuff, Blake? Do you know? No, I had a lot of trouble. And, you know, there's a, there are some clips on YouTube that are like grainy and in and not in English. Uh, I ended up, you know, I tried to find clips of all of these events to include in the article. Right. In this one, I just ended up including a TVO interview with Jay Triano where he goes into it a little bit. Uh, it was really hard to find details. So, I, again, I relied on Doug and, and some old CBC archival articles uh, for this one. But, you know, it's uh, there are some other Canadian youth moments here, too. Like, I, I was, it, it was kind of a coin toss for me between this and um, when the Canada U19s, led by RJ Barrett, won their first FIBA gold medal yeah. in 2017. I remember... Um, being at Summer League and like Brady Heslip coming up and watching it over my shoulder um, in the semifinals, I think. And, and then like 
uh, at the Raptors practice facility, like Dwayne Casey asking about what was happening. Um, so that one was close. But I think uh, the, the double upset here, even if we can't actually see it, hopefully, you know, hopefully there's some CBC or, or basketball.ca uh, archive footage that they, yeah. they can send our way after hearing this. Yeah, Do we know absolutely. if the uh, referees in those games were neutral, uh, Blake, or were they? Oh, how dare you! How dare you, sir! <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, if you they won these games by eight and fifteen, so I don't know that uh, uh, yeah. you know maybe the U.S. game, but they, it, it sounds like they they earned that Yugoslavia win. Blake, I've heard um, some of the players on the United States team blame this loss on a Canadian operative coming into the locker room and telling them that James Naismith is Canadian and not American. <laughs> really put them out. Do you know if that's true? Yeah, I, I can't confirm it, but that's long been the conspiracy theory. If you go on, uh, if you go really, really deep on uh, NBA Reddit or, or the real GM message boards, you, you can find those. Trey, don't we have like some weird bet going that we made like ten years ago that? Team Canada would eventually beat like whatever version of the dream team America had going in an international game. I swear to God, we like, I was like, 2028, man, I'll bet you or something. I think we have $20 in the future riding on a game. We've got a lot of bets uh, centered around Canadian basketball that don't pay off for two to six years, no doubt about it. <laughs> All right, we got to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, but lots more still to come. Look, 2020 has been relentless. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. Real issues are not stopping, and ideally, they shouldn't. But we need to get our minds under control to be able to combat these issues. I know it is hard, but I may have a tip. Enter Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins that are consumable and easy to take on the go. They help out by helping you relax and just chill. And they've become a leading CBD brand for millennials. Last year, Sunday Scary CBD gummies and CBD oil won top accolades from Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. And right now, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NODUNKS at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com by entering code NODUNKS where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Find out what product might be best for you. Go to sundayscaries.com and use code NODUNKS. All right, here we go. Number five, counting down the top 10 moments in Canadian basketball history. Here it is. Vince Carter wins the NBA Slam Dunk Contest in 2000, Blake. Yeah, and this one's really, you know, the vote for all of the Carter effect. And we talked a lot about it in talking about Bennett and Wiggins and Tristan Thompson and the impact that Vince Carter had there. And I think, you know, the slam dunk contest win is the thing that best captures everything Carter meant, not just to the Raptors, but to the league at that time. Um, Not only is it you know, this phenomenal dunk contest performance that you can pick apart for what was the best dunk or has anyone, you know, did Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon ever ever match it or what the best fan reaction is. Um, there, There's no end to the conversation and enjoyment you can get from the dunk contest. And, you know, even if the, uh, the Weiss dunk is uh, a little more prominent outside of the NBA circles, uh, this is kind of the moment where Carter's star was, was at its highest. And because... 
Vince was at this point, you know, there was no cooler player than Vince Carter at this point. There was no more yeah. must-see player. And that meant that the Raptors were one of the on-the-rise teams in the NBA. And for a team that had been, you know, gone through a tough first couple years and it kind of settled into maybe being an afterthought in the league, uh, this was so important to the to the long-term health of the Raptors. And I think to, you know, the the passion that Canadian and Toronto fans started to have for, for not just Carter and the team, but for basketball in general. What's your favorite dunk, Blake, from the dunk Ooh, contest? I, I think the reverse, the the reverse windmill is. Uh, it's just so smooth, and he's up so high. Uh, I know the between the lungs, the the between the legs one is maybe more iconic, but the the reverse windmill to me is. Uh, you know, it's it's the the most effortless for him, right? Uh, and and kind of stands to me as the the most incredible uh, athletic achievement of all those dunks. Yeah, it is. Um... It, for a lot of people, it's one of those uh, moments in NBA history where you sort of remember where you were watching it <laughs> because it was that iconic and uh, him rocking the Toronto on the on the purple jersey there on his chest. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I've said it many times before in this podcast that it's like I used to watch the dunk contest with all of my buddies um, every year. It was like All Star Weekend. I just loved. We loved it. And this was the year I was in Australia, so I couldn't watch it with them. And, hmm. uh, of course, it's the greatest dunk contest of all time, <laughs> even though we had watched all the crappier ones before that. Um, and, and then I always forget, too, that the dunk contest got so bad that they got rid of it. <laughs> and then this is like, you know, it coming back and, and Vince Carter just resurrecting it from, from death. So, uh, yeah. This you has mentioned to be the purple the jerseys, Skeets, but they weren't just purple. We're talking black back jerseys as well, yeah, Blake. Did yeah. you like the two-tone jerseys? For me, that's my favorite Raptors jersey that has existed, period. Okay, it's, it's definitely not my favorite. I do like them, um, but I've never been able to tell whether I actually like them or it's just like this was my interest. <laughs> like, the Vince dunk contest was the first time I remember. Like, it's the first basketball thing I can remember enjoying because i grew up as like a strictly hockey like 12 month a year playing typical small town ontario kid um so this was like for me this was my first introduction to the raptors mm. and the years that followed that was their jersey so i can never tell if i actually like the jersey or it's just like i feel nostalgic for that jersey the way some people feel about the the original jersey yeah and it's it's something which has just been banned it seems like from nba jersey circles the the one color on the front the one color on the back it's just nobody really appreciates nobody thinks it's cool right it, it, <laughs> there's been there's been a few of them in in the last 20 years um but not many uh, yeah. i'm i'm partial to them and i'm exactly with you blake i can't tell if it's nostalgia or not uh but just a full-on embrace of the purple i think is what i really liked like people were making fun of the barney dino <clears throat> so they went away from that. It's weird to think that Vince Carter only wore the Barney Dino for one year, but then they just went full on purple right in your face, <laughs> and uh, we're totally comfortable with that. I, I, I like that boldness about that jersey, even though I guess it's black on the back. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm with Trey. I mean, they, I, I'm I'm with them. Did they? How many years did those last? They were going for three or four years at least. I think even maybe even longer. I'm pretty sure Vince was still playing in them when he left. You know, yeah, you know, about that, about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but that, that, that whole dunk contest, yeah, I mean, everything about it, like Vince nailed the dunk straight away. Um, he got the crowd going, he had the celebration. When he did the it's over as well into the camera, like everything about him was just perfect on that day. And, and it really did make the Raptors. It just vaulted them into all of a sudden a conversation like, oh, okay, this team's kind of cool now because they've got a legit star. I mean, he was compared to Jordan in, you know, a baby Jordan comparison coming out of North Carolina, having the hops and everything like that. And then he goes out there and has a Jordan-esque a dunk performance and it was like man maybe Vince is the next coming of Michael Jordan here so um, you know so much came together in that one dunk contest that has lived on forever and the fact that Vince never went in it again was was the right decision even though we kind of you know would have loved yeah. to see if he could still throw down but uh, yeah it just it, it's an incredible when you think that it's just the dunk contest but it had such an impact on basketball in uh, Canada and for the Raptors yeah a couple other things to add about the dunk contest we've talked about it before but one, he says he basically improvised everything, which is just makes it all that much cooler. He's like, okay, I'll just try this dunk. I've thought about this dunk, or maybe, you know, I had a dream about it. Let's just give it a go. That's amazing. And he basically knocks it out of the park on the first attempt. The other part is you got Steve Francis and Tracy McGrady going sort of as much as you possibly could going head-to-head dunk for dunk with Vince. Yeah, he's killing it, and there's really no chance of anybody beating him, but they're like dunking their asses off too, if you remember. Like, there are some good dunks from both of those guys to make it even a better contest and then the final part is i've always loved it if you go back and watch it poor jerry stackhouse having to follow vince carter's dunk and him just being like i just i don't know what it is about it but like the place is the the arena is still a buzz after what just happened there like you can literally just feel it still in the air of everybody talking to each other like what did he just do did he just do that oh my god and then jerry stackhouse is up there dunking and like Throws down like I don't know. I forget what he does. Like a little lame three sixty. Yeah, two after the greatest three sixty we've ever seen. Oh, Jerry Stackhouse so... does a worse three sixty. He's like, yeah, well, whatever. Okay. He just, yeah, he just. <laughs> I dumps it. He comes you try and, and sits that. on the bench and like looks up at the the scoreboard to see his score, and he's just like, why am I even here? This sucks. Oh, a couple years it. ago, uh, when he was coaching, when Stackhouse was coaching Raptors nine hundred five, someone asked him about what it was like to follow Vince in the dunk contest, and he eventually like answered the question well because he's stackhouse and he's a great quote but the look on his face when the person started asking the question like he knew what was coming and just like you could see him reliving it in that moment (laughs) all right you had a couple honorable mentions too i think it's important to include here when you're talking raptors in the dunk contest terrence ross um winning two of them right is that fair to technically technically i mean he so he won the one, and then the next year they changed it to that stupid oh, yes. team battle format. Yes. And his team won, and then there was a vote for dunker of the night, which went to John Wall. John Wall. But, like, technically the East won the dunk contest. Right. So in my mind, Terrence Ross never lost. <laughs> right, right. And then um, one of my favorites, DeMar DeRozan's underrated dunk contest performance in 2011. He had, he had some pretty damn good dunks uh, in that contest. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. I actually, I wrote a thing for for Uproxx about it uh, a couple years ago because I happened to be in the locker room when uh, Serge Ibaka, who was also in that dunk contest, and Damar were talking trash back and forth about it. (laughs) Um, So I was like, hey, I'll go back and watch it and ask them about it. And and I talked to uh, JaVale McGee as well, who I think had probably the best performance in that dunk contest but unfortunately it was the the blake griffin uh akia situation so you know we know we talked about the the fix being in earlier for the university (laughs) games well the the fix seemed to be in in the 2011 dunk contest too yeah yeah absolutely all right at number four here on our list 
The Canadian women clinch an Olympic berth on Canada Day back in 2012. Yeah, so this one, you know, the, the Canadian women's program has had some higher watermarks than just qualifying for the Olympics. But the fact that they did this on Canada Day to punch their Olympic ticket uh, was awesome. They, they beat Japan yeah. 71-63 in what was a last chance qualifying tournament to grab the 12th and final berth. Uh, in the Olympics, to that point, they hadn't played in the, they hadn't made the last couple Olympics. Uh, you know, if, for anyone who doesn't know, the Canadian women's side, especially in the last eight or nine years, has uh, been outpacing the men's side in terms of success at the international level. Uh, they've won a couple FIBA Americas. They're ranked fourth in the world by oh. FIBA. But this, this was kind of their first real step forward and there was it was a great moment because there were a couple of um you know a couple of vets on the team who had been on the 2000 roster and, and this was their chance to get back to a second olympics and, and you know it was clearly the end of their their careers with the international team and you know canada canada did fairly well too they went two and three in the olympics and and finished seventh overall um you know a couple like I said, they, they've had higher watermarks than this with, with the FIBA Americas. They won the Pan Am Games here in Toronto in 2015. Uh, and then they don't technically count because they were unofficial world championships, but the Edmonton grads won four consecutive world championships from 1924 to 1936. So um, <laughs> underrated storied history of Canadian women's basketball. Yeah, it, I mean, one thing you wrote um, sort of in the, I guess it was maybe in the dishonorable mention part of this one that I... I didn't really put a lot of thought into, and maybe I, I should have. Toronto doesn't have a WNBA team. Canada doesn't have a WNBA team. And that is maybe a little shocking. Yeah, it's one that, you know, I, I understand the WNBA's stance about expansion, where they, they've prioritize keeping the league small so that they can keep the teams that they have healthy and, and yeah. not growing too quickly. Uh, but I think if you look at, you know, the, over the last decade or so um the participation numbers for for youth girls playing basketball in canada has risen quicker than i think anything except for soccer um so that's really encouraging you have you know there were four WNBA player four canadians on WNBA rosters at the start of the 2019 season uh there is there are great um canadian presence at, at the ncaa and, and canadian university levels as well uh, and then like i said the canadian women's program ranks ranks fourth in the world by fiba so i i do think if the WNBA look to expand at some point toronto is a pretty logical uh spot for you know the, having the infrastructure here already and the talent pool uh edmonton would also be somewhat interesting just given the history there of the edmonton grads mm. and the fact that uh, the canadian women's teams like uh they're where they do their camps and things like that is based in edmonton so um i know it'd be weird to, to kind of give edmonton an expansion franchise before <laughs> toronto but that'd be an option as well yeah and lee um Look, I'll set you up here. You know who ranks second in the national women's basketball rankings? Australia. Yeah, that's right, my man. Yeah. That's right. Powerhouse team, don't you? Yeah, well, we've won silver at the Olympics a couple of times. We should have beaten America in Athens in 2004. We were leading in that game. But, uh, yeah, we choked, unfortunately. Got a, quite a rivalry there with the U.S., so Ooh. we need one with the Canadians, too. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully if we ever get the Olympics, we can see a Canada versus Australia women's yeah. game. That'd be fun. Yeah. Lee. Lee, similar to uh, the U.S. stealing James Naismith, now that Kia Nurse is a two-time Australian League champion and Australian MVP, how long before you guys try to claim her? Oh, well, yeah, why not? Right, Let's do it right now, you know? I mean, uh, <laughs> no time like the present. <laughs> We're always up for stealing other people's really good athletes. That's fine. We'll give them a passport. <laughs> 
yeah, how many passports do you have? You play for every country, don't you? Uh, yeah, a couple. A couple. I'm still working on them. <laughs> All right. At number three, sticking with the international flavor here, Canada beats Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico to qualify for the 2000 Olympics back in 99. Why is this one important, Blake? Yeah, I promised there would be more Steve Nash uh, content on this list. This was a huge Steve Nash performance, uh, not just at the 1999 FIBA Americas, but the eventual 2000 Sydney Games as well. Um, so this was, you know, people people who follow the international scene now may not realize that the U.S. actually has to qualify for these uh, Olympic tournaments. They are not always an auto bid. And because Yugoslavia had won the 1998 World Championships, uh, the U.S. had to qualify via the FIBA Americas tournament. Uh, there was no last chance qualifier this time around like we're familiar with now. Uh, so Canada was in a position where if you presume the U.S. is going to win this tournament, Canada had to finish second. Um, the U.S. did go on to win the tournament. Uh, so that left Canada jockeying with Argentina, Venezuela, and the host, Puerto Rico, uh, for that final berth. Uh, Canada had a really strong group stage. They beat Argentina. They beat Cuba. They beat Uruguay. Uh, they lost to the Americans, as you'd expect. Um, and then in the next round, when the pools merge, they actually lost to Puerto Rico uh, at, around victories against Brazil and the Dominican Republic. Uh, they then beat Venezuela to uh, qualify for the, the semifinals which put them in a rematch with Puerto Rico. So they're coming off a loss to Puerto Rico. It's a win-in-your-in situation. You're on the road. Uh, I found a YouTube of the entire game, and the crowd is crazy in, oh. in the corner of Puerto Rico, obviously. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, I, I didn't watch the entire game, but you scan through and you feel the energy, and Canada gets this double-digit lead, but it never feels safe down the stretch in the second half because the full court presses out and you're playing there. You know, you've got this iconic moment of Sherm at the free throw line <laughs> trying to uh, trying to keep the game at, at arm's length. And you have a tremendous performance from uh, Steve Nash, who would win tournament MVP. Uh, so, yeah, Canada, you know, that that's uh, they hadn't been to the Olympics in a little while then. They haven't been to the Olympics since. So uh, to do this on the road in a in a must win situation with a kind of maybe Nash's best performance uh, with the national team, uh, short of when they upset Yugoslavia at the, at the Olympics. Um, Nash had, I think, 26-8-8 eight and eight in that game. Uh, but this is it. This is kind of the height of Nash with the national team, the height of this era of the national team. And Canada, you know, we were hoping that, that they'd punch their ticket through Victoria this year. Obviously, that's delayed now, but they haven't been back to, to this high a height since. It's amazing it's been that long when we talk about all the talent that we've seen even making it into the nba and yeah they still haven't been back since the 2000 olympics uh one thing who else is on this team blake like you said sherman hamilton obviously nash any other names that some of the listeners would know yeah uh michael meeks who was kind of a longtime national team presence uh, todd mccullough Oh. People are surely familiar with. And then Roan Barrett, who kind of runs the national team now and is the father of RJ Barrett. There you go. There you go. Lee, do you remember watching any uh, Team Canada at the 2000 Olympics when this squad made it and Nash was, you know, like Blake said, upsetting Yugoslavia? No, because I wasn't in Australia at the time. I was in oh, Greece. So, right, yeah, right. I, I didn't watch it. The only thing I remember is the Vince dunk over uh, Freddie. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I uh, did, didn't really notice any of it, actually. Would you, Tass, buy yourself a Canada basketball jersey do you have one <laughs> or would you buy one because i love these uh old nash ones the 2000-ish eras yeah those are the iconic ones right um i would buy one sure i, yeah, I there's definitely some. uh some some serious national pride after watching uh, nash win that tournament that's definitely the canadian moment that that lives on with me in terms of uh, national basketball for, for sure i'm surprised you don't have one skeets 
I know, I know. I remember looking into it once. I was almost shocked how much it cost. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I remember it not being cheap at the time. This is a while ago now. Maybe they've come down in price now. But you trying to get a Steve Nash or a Sean Swords? Oh, well, that's a cool name. But yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Nash if I'm getting a Canada basketball <laughs> for sure. Blake, do you own any? I mean, you are a big international guy. That's why I'm actually. Always, that's why I thought you were the perfect guy to write this list because I was like, ah, you know. You're going to at least inject some of that international flavor of Team Canada success, both the men's and women's. Do you have paraphernalia like from, from any of the squads? I don't. I have a Canada bat, like just like a plain Canada basketball t-shirt, but I don't right. have a, a Canada jersey. There was, it's actually something that uh, I think Canada basketball got a little annoyed with me about at one point in the last couple of years. You couldn't actually buy a lot of Canada basketball merch, yeah. including the jerseys, for a really long time. So I remember, I think the year that they held two of those FIBA qualifiers here uh, in July and Corey Joseph played and it was right at the start of uh, a free agency so it was a bit of a a bit of a messy one but they played those qualifiers here and in Ottawa and I remember people you know my mentions were just like hey how do I get a jersey like I want to I want a Canada basketball jersey and they weren't for sale yet they weren't available so I think that's part of the uh, you know one you never know who's gonna who's gonna actually suit up so who do you get on the jersey at least until uh, they make it back to the Olympics and then yeah they haven't always done the best job of uh, making this stuff available so I don't have one uh, they're also like 160 bucks so ah, see? Um, yeah. you know I'm not a big I used to be a big Jersey guy. I'm less so at this point. I don't know if I'm dropping 160, uh, at least until Canada <laughs> make it, makes it back to the Olympics. Yeah, maybe. Okay, that's our that's our pact here, guys. That's our Canada yeah. Day pact. If they make the Olympics, we're all buying Canada basketball jerseys. I think that's yeah. fair. I don't care now, how much they cost. Skeets, I guess the question for, for you and I is, are we are we going Jamal Murray or Michael Mulder to keep the 519 representation? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah. I... I got to go Jamal Murray. So you'll take a Mulder. Well, okay, that's sure. what we'll do. Okay. <laughs> Murray and Mulder. Excellent, excellent. All right. At number two, here we go. At number two on the list in the top 10 moments in Canadian basketball history, it's simply called The Shot, May 12th, 2019. Yeah, I think everyone knows what we're talking about. I think everyone knows we were building toward uh, this time last year, roughly uh, before the Raptors got to uh, their first NBA Finals. They had to get past the Philadelphia 76ers. Game 7 at home against the 76ers. Uh, game on the line. Kawhi Leonard hits the first ever walk-off Game 7 uh, winner in NBA history. Uh, you know, I don't know that I need to set this up for you much. I, I think it's fresh in everyone's memories still a little more than a year later. I think it'll stay fresh in everyone's memories for a really long time from the is this the dagger to Kawhi's squat to Jordan Lloyd, the random guy in a suit, uh, <laughs> preening beside him, watching it go down to Joel Embiid's hands on his head at once it drops after after the, uh, the, fourth, the fourth bounce. The shots of... Scotiabank Arena and all of the Jurassic Parks kind of erupting together. Um, it's it's pretty much a perfect playoff moment that I, I think you put right up there with Jose Batista's bat flip, Joe mm -hmm. Carter's touch them all, Doug Gilmore's wraparound. Uh, I think it's right there. And obviously there's maybe some recency bias because Toronto teams haven't had a ton of playoff level success in the, the last 20 years or so. Uh, but I think this one's going to stand the test of time. And, and Despite it only being the second round of the playoffs, I, I think this is probably what's going to be the lasting single moment memory for people from the Raptors championship run. 100%. That's exactly right. I'm glad you said it like that. Without a doubt, 25, 50 years from now, when people are talking about the Raptors championship, it's almost going to blend into one that I feel like people are going to think Kawhi hit that shot 
like in the finals. You know what I mean? Like, it, I know people will be like, ah, that was in the second round against the Sixers, but it, it won't really matter. It'll be like, oh, the shot to the title. Like, it just, it's so perfect that they go hand in hand. Were you, here's the question I want to know, because I know what my man Lee would have been doing on press row. Blake, were you in it? You were, I assume you were in attendance for the game, right? Yeah, I was uh, up in the in the uh, Foster Hewitt gondola, though. I wasn't in the regular media okay. seats. I, I got oh. bumped to the to the blogger overflow. <laughs> uh, so I was up top, and, and basically, you know, I was just... You remember Eric Moreland with Mark Gasol during the parade? I basically had to do that for William Liu of Yahoo Sports. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So you, so you went... You celebrated like crazy. No, I didn't. I, uh, I kind of kept it together. And, you know, in that moment, it's weird... You know, as a writer, first of all, I, the first playoff game I ever covered, um, there was like an Amir Johnson open court dunk against the Nets uh, in that first year back in the playoffs. And I remember like giving a fist bump on press row and like getting some looks. So I've always been like really snake bitten about like showing any emotion in these moments. Um, so between that and like trying to think of like what you're going to write and like weirdly, though, like I did feel this you know, you hear people talk about it sometimes. It felt like this, like, time slowed down, and, like, I feel like I was able to capture or at least take in, like, a lot of people's reactions, even though this all happened in an instant, um, <laughs> including Will Lose, including uh, good friend Holly McKenzie's. Uh, so it was cool. that I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't celebrate myself, though. I was just kind of trying to take everything in and, and process, you know, hey, they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I, I maybe get to write about now one of the greatest shots in NBA history. Lee Ellis would have ripped off his shirt and <laughs> ran on the floor. Lee, am I wrong? Because we know your no. opinions on uh, people on press rows should be able to celebrate a little bit, especially a uh, shot like this. I, I mean, a shot like that to win the series and to go on, I definitely would have been up cheering and roaring and celebrating. Why not? you got to enjoy that moment. I mean, ultimately, you're a fan first and then a, a media personality second. So, you know, something iconic like that, considering this franchise, usually those things are the other team doing that. You know, usually they're, they're, they're the ones that yeah. rim out, that if the Raptors were down by a point. Kawhi's shot just just about falls in, but then it falls out, you know? So instead, you've got to enjoy those moments and be happy and just let the emotions flow through you. I just want to be clear. I didn't not enjoy it. And I, I will... <laughs> I didn't... I didn't celebrate it like a fan, but, you know, if there's ever a big play in a game, especially dunks, you know, I do look like Steve Francis in Vince's dunk contest on press row sometimes. And that goes for Raptors highlights or other teams' highlights. If you're, you know, if you're, if Chris Boucher is dropping a putback or, or something like that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to react to the plays. I just, you know, I can't, you have to pretend there's this level of objectivity a, li a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Trey, do you remember like where you were watching the shot drop, the bounce, 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 bounce? Yeah, I remember. I was watching the second to last episode of Game of Thrones, just messaging all my friends. Do not tell me what happens. Please do not tell me what happens with this basketball game. I'm kidding. It was the flip. Of course I was watching. Everybody else in my house was asleep. So my celebration uh, was just a lot of punching, you know, like a lot of silent punching in the yep. air because I couldn't scream. I'll wake everybody else up in the house, maybe wake my neighbors up. But, uh, you know, certainly some violence being taken out on the air surrounding me. And Tass, you? Yeah, obviously. I definitely remember where I was on my couch. It was freaking unbelievable. And Blake just mentioning all those Toronto sport, sporting moments and comparing it to the bat flip, touch them all, Joe, and Doug Gilmore's wraparound goal. Mm -hmm. I never really myself ranked Doug Gilmore's goal anywhere near the, any of those moments. But Doug Gilmore's goal in 1993 was pretty 
pretty sweet. A I mean, who was it against? Rapper. Who did they play? The King? I don't even the know. The Blues. Man. He oh, fooled blues. Curtis Joseph. Yeah. It was nasty. Uh, I thought he was passing out to Nikolai Borshevsky uh, <laughs> or Jamie McCowan was going to get the, the puck uh, through, <laughs> through a scramble. But Dougie held on to that thing, and it was a beautiful wraparound like you were playing NHL 94. But it's hilarious that that moment, which didn't lead to a, a series when they lost in that conference final against the, the St. Louis Blues. Leafs never came anywhere close to a cup in, in our lifetime. Just because they're the Leafs, they're up there. Uh, but I guess that the bat flip is somewhat somewhat similar to that. But that was a sweet goal. That was, I don't know. I think it might have been prettier than the Kawhi <laughs> shot. Let's be no, honest. Get out of here. See, the, uh, the hockey Jones is still on the table. Yeah, here, I know. Uh, I have a couple questions. One, Blake, be honest with me. Do the Raptors win game seven if that thing goes to overtime uh well to hear Serge Ibaka and Jimmy Butler tell it no um (laughs) Ibaka was pretty clear that they were they were gassed and it had to drop there uh Jimmy Butler has been very adamant that they win if it goes to overtime to which I'll (laughs) lean on a David Priceism and say if you don't like it pitch better uh if you wanted to win in (laughs) overtime you shouldn't have let Kawhi Leonard hit that shot I've also seen some like recently i can't remember if it was reddick or someone else someone else pointed out like Kawhi's gather catching the inbound is like maybe a travel if you slow it down yeah exactly get out of here um if we're gonna do that we got to do it for like every shot every big shot in uh in nba history um but i i don't know i think you know the way those games went when they were close and obviously i think the raptors won that whole series by like only one point or something like that yeah. uh, it would have been a, a serious coin flip at home with Kawhi. i'd probably lean toward the raptors still but we're talking like 51 49 with how fatigued he was at that point and how little else the raptors were getting from from the rest of the roster at that point in the series yeah you gave it an honorable mention too um Kawhi's dunk uh, sort of, sort of on around Giannis and the Bucks to cap off like that Game Six Eastern Conference Finals comeback. Um, you sort of like lumped it in here with the shot, which I think was smart. Um, but because you're, it's like you can't bump the shot from the list. I mean, I guess you could argue that maybe that win to punch their ticket to the finals deserves its own spot, but uh, you're, you're getting a little creative here, just putting those two together. Yeah, and this is why I kind of grouped like things together. Like, I think the shot is everyone's main memory. Um, you know, that dunk on Giannis, though, is it probably, you know, more important in the bigger picture because, again, it takes them to the finals. It caps this 26-3 run. It's also a wonderful Lowry highlight because yep. Lowry has, like, a very subtle, like, push on Giannis after because <laughs> Lowry sprints up the court and, like, does this drop pass for Kawhi and then he just gets a little hand on Giannis to make sure he's not in great position. So it's a it's a great... There were a ton of great Lowry highlights in that game seven against the 76ers, too. Uh, but that's the, you know, full brain genius Lowry right there to do something like that in transition so um you know that 26-3 run is uh that's what got them to the show so that's that's probably just as big uh as the shot itself but the shot crystallizes everything to one moment so much better than you know uh, the capper on a 26-3 run yeah that is true but it's so weird like of the three and i know we're gonna get to number one in a second here but of the three the shot from Kawhi against the sixers the raptors just straight up winning the title versus the warriors depleted warriors and then that game six that massive run comeback to go to the finals ah it's like i almost put that one higher at least just like personally i was there it was like oh my god my team is actually going to the finals they they're coming back the place was going it was definitely at that moment too where it's like 
Oh, it's happening. This is this is happening. This they are going to the finals. They had lost the first two games in the series against like the really good Bucks teams, and then you know obviously switched up. They were doing defensively and and reeled off four straight. I don't, I, I I just wonder will I will it down down the line. I think I still might have that higher, but that's of course up for debate. I think what maybe helps with your point, like you said, you were there. Oh, yeah. um, the reason I think that that one stands out too is that. You know, they celebrated the Eastern Conference Finals title and, and getting to go to the to the championship. And it turns out that like that was such a special night and celebration in the streets of Toronto as well as in Scotiabank Arena yeah. uh, because they would eventually win the title on the road. Um, so it feels like people huh. got kind of, you know, th- that was obviously people celebrated the night of the championship and the parade was incredible as well. Um, but that was a big celebration too, just getting to that point and, and kind of realizing what was happening. So I think that happening at home, you know, makes it makes it hit hit a little harder than um, you know any moment that stands out from the actual finals for sure. Well, our final one here on our top ten moments in Canadian basketball history: celebrating Canada Day. Yeah, it's an obvious one. It is the Toronto Raptors winning their first ever NBA championship in 2019 beating the Warriors they're on the road winning all those road games and then as you write um, you know just the celebration in Canada it's a wow we sort of made it moment for Canada basketball Blake yeah closing down Oracle um, the parade obviously being what it was uh, dishonorable mention to the organizing of the parade uh, (laughs) and not having access to things like water and bathrooms and uh, a timely timely route and things like that but it was it was amazing and, and this is one where you know i know as a single moment the shot probably stands out more uh, maybe the parade measures up to it for some people uh, or what they did you know on their own the night of the championship uh, but i think you know this is one that especially if we look back on this list in five ten years we talked about the long-term impact that the carter effect had and the long-term impact that steve nash had and, and at least the the short-term impact we've seen in terms of the canadian women's program having such success and driving youth participation i think this is the big thing that's going to we're going to look back on this and be like look not only did this show that canada is a basketball country too and that canada through ratings and through the parade and through the record-setting merch sales and all this stuff will support a basketball team but i think you're going to see that this kind of second wave of things the same way that the carter effect inspired a lot of canadians to to try basketball and Steve Nash let people know that you can make it to the highest levels out of Canada. Uh, This is going to solidify that and it's going to solidify that Canada and Toronto can be basketball countries and basketball cities while they're also hockey countries and hockey cities. And I think, you know, you're going to see a wave 10, 15 years from now of Canadian talent that instead of saying, oh yeah, I watched the Vince Carter dunk contest, they're going to say, you know, they're going to mention the Jamal Murrays and the Shea Gilgis-Alexanders and the Chris Boucher's, but they're also going to say, yeah, my first basketball memory or or what led me to try basketball or my my first memory of being in, you know, Dave Power's basement with, with watching the Raptors with my friends was the championship run. Uh, and I think obviously that's immeasurable anyway, but it's something we're going to see down the line just how important uh, that championship is to, to basketball in this city and basketball in this country. Well said. Also, you had a friend named Dave Powers? Yeah, yeah, he was my best friend in high school. He's still one of my really good friends. Um, he's, uh, I, I've told this story before on the other podcast, I think, but I mentioned Mengi Batir in the best man speech I gave for him. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, how, that's how hardcore into the Raptors minutia we got in, uh, in high school. He was obsessed with uh, the real GM message boards and swore to us up and down that, like, 
a source in the real GM message board said Mangi Batir was just unbelievable in practice and he was going to be this big thing. Uh, so he, he's been roasted about that forever. He also thought the Raptors were getting Kevin Garnett from Mopede in a first. Uh, which, you know, thank God the trade machine didn't exist back in, uh, in 2003, 2004. Well, Mangi Batir did end up being a pretty big thing. He was a very, very large man. Um, but... But listen, you said Dave Powers used to be your best friend. He's still your good friend. Maybe you can Derek dial him up after we're done with this podcast oh and give him a quick <laughs> chat. Oh uh, yeah, I'm gonna let him know he's on this podcast for sure. He's, he's not gonna be he's not gonna be happy at, at me uh, roasting his Mangy Batir love, and he's it, it's power singular. Just uh, he'll he'll mm. be oh. upset with us for saying powers. Mm. It's oh. singular power. Hey. Um, so not as cool as not quite as cool as Max Powers, but he should take that as a compliment because my man Dave Setton also gets pluralized on this show. That's how it works. It's Setton's now. It's, it's just the nature of being a Canadian. And, what uh, moments from the finals stick out to you guys? Like specific singular moments, like we had the shot in round two. Oh. What from the 2019 finals is the moment? For me, it's Lowry game six. The, like mm-hmm. him just going bonkers and like really setting the tone for the possibly possibility of them winning the actual game and the actual title that that to me and because he's like of course maybe my favorite raptor he is my favorite raptor of all time like it was like oh yeah it was like the ultimate like just f you to all the haters <laughs> you know like, of course he had he's had a lot of bad moments in the playoffs and didn't come through in games and had the offers and stuff like that but uh, you know, real ones know how talented he is and how much how much importance he is to the squad and the franchise and the organization. Like that to me was awesome because it was like mm-hmm. the ultimate. Just shut up. We're winning a title. <laughs> Skeets. I remember in 2012 when the Raptors first got Kyle Lowry. I wrote something at Raptors Republic about just like how enamored with his style of play uh, I was in just a couple preseason games, and I remember talking to you about it on Twitter, and we were just very and I so I feel like for all of the people who you know through Lowry having a bad reputation coming in, and through Lowry you know that there was an argument for a couple years within the fan base of whether Lowry or DeRozan was you know the top or most important yep. player, and it doesn't really matter, but you know there was. Those who stuck by Lowry and thought things like Lowry should be an all-star and then Lowry should be all-NBA and Lowry's the best player on the Raptors and, you know, the second best player next to Kawhi and stuff. I I do think that that, you know, his game seven against Philly was great, but the the 11 points early on in game six were, uh, you know, I think for Lowry personally, I'm sure he would tell you that that meant a lot. But for the the Raptors fans that have been in Lowry's corner for, for eight years as well. And then I think... I think in terms of singular like images, the the bloody Fred Van Vliet yell oh, yeah. is the the mm-hmm. one that I think of in my head. Yeah, that's a good one. I would almost add like my mind immediately goes to all the Raptors fans, Trey, like in attendance mm-hmm. um, in Oakland. It, you know, the the singing of the the Canadian national anthem for crying out loud, like after some victories there, um, that'll stick out to me. Tass, is there a, another moment we're forgetting? Like Blake, that monstrous Fred Van Vliet yell um, was was him, you know, coming into his own, uh, just like Lowry, because it's it's easy to forget. Like like Blake was talking about Kawhi earlier in the second round. Kawhi was the guy who got them over the line just to get to the conference finals. No one was really giving him enough, and then. That's what propelled them to that the, the championship. Well, that's what propelled Fred Van Bleet to become the player he was and, and Kyle Lowry to become the player he was. And then Fred yelling all over the Warriors in game six there as he was dancing. I mean, that was the best Freddie. 
I think we'll ever see that. Uh, that's why Hubie Brown gave him an MVP vote. So that that stands out to <laughs> no. me what, as as a phenomenal, phenomenal visual. And then the end of the game was almost, almost you know perfectly Toronto sports in a nutshell because it was dragging on and on and on and on, and it seemed like is something going to go wrong here? The, yeah. the Warriors get. Uh, get called for a technical foul because they called a timeout without a timeout <laughs> and and so we're just freaking waiting like this isn't actually going to blow up in their faces that this isn't actually going to happen so it was it was very toronto-esque towards the end so i couldn't help but you know but be that that negative guy at the end just just worrying uh, for that last second but yeah those are the images and and definitely yeah the fans um it's still bonkers uh thinking about Probably in the U.S., um, you know, they turned off the televisions. They, they didn't. They didn't see all these reports coming back with all these thousands of fans uh, sitting there in Oracle Arena, uh, chanting out their chanting for their Toronto Raptors. Though, yeah, that was that was astonishing to me that, that that many fans were down there for sure. Mo Verney was there for one game, wasn't he? Yeah, I was there with Mo. I caught That's up right. with Mo Verney. <laughs> but I, I was in the cra- in the stands with the Raptors fans singing after I game tried, three. I and tried four. to avoid. Sorry, I tried to avoid not saying Mo Verney's <laughs> name. I did it. I did it. But Skeets, you had to bring him in there. <laughs> and you know, if I had avoided saying his name, that you would have said it. That's just how it works. No, I wanted less Verney. But go ahead, Lee. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. But uh, it, it was it was incredible. Um, I've sp- spoken about it before. Like you know, I am an Australian person. But in that moment, I felt Canadian. Like I've oh, never hold felt on. The, I thought uh, you were from Pakistan. Well, you know, I, I've, I've got a few different aliases out there. But, uh, you know, being in the crowd um, with those fans chanting, chanting We the North and singing the, the, rap, the, the uh, Canadian national anthem, like it was spine tingling to be in there and, and just to see the passion and, and how people were just so uh, dedicated to what they were doing there singing and it was it was an incredible experience uh, to be there for it but I, I also go back to even just game one because we know that the Raptors uh, at home in game ones of playoff series have a terrible terrible record and the fact that they won game one they held firm that was the only game that was won on home court in the entire series too by the way and it was won by the Raptors it wasn't until that moment that I truly believed maybe they could actually beat the Warriors you know I thought I still thought the Warriors are too good. They're too experienced. Obviously, uh, Clay Thompson didn't get injured until late in the series, so they still had. A, apart from Kevin Durant, you know, he came back, but but he didn't last. I just thought, nah, the, the Raptors can't do it. They've already had their finals by beating the Sixers and then by coming back against the Bucks. Can they do it against you know one of the greatest teams of all time? It was like, no, it can't happen, and uh, and they did it. It was just incredible because, you know, I honestly have wondered whether or not the Raptors would have even survived if um, you know when 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 they've had guys like Vince went the way that he left and then Chris Bosch left and then Lowry didn't want to stay there um, you know so things sort of fell into place and so for them to actually win a championship was just an incredible uh, turnaround for that franchise I still don't believe they won still don't. <laughs> yeah. not not 100% certain that that happened yeah. in 2019 well that's well, funny because you write in the article right uh, Blake that the Raptors are the longest reigning yeah. single season champions of all time yes yeah, so I was very uh I mean, you guys have probably had moments of of boredom or your brain's not functioning completely as well as they (laughs) normally do during all of this. Uh, So I went back and I looked and I I was trying to find, you know, the exact date at which the Raptors would become the longest single season champions. Uh, And I ended up tracking every title rank. So like if a team won multiple championships in a row, that counted as one 
cohesive title reign. So, like, the okay. Celtics in the 50s and 60s had an almost 3,000-day Bruno San Martino-like title reign. <laughs> uh, the Raptors are the already the 14th longest reigning champions uh, of all time. By the time a, a champion is crowned uh, later in the restart, if, if everything goes well, it will have been about 487 days of wow. the Raptors as, league, as NBA champs. So they would skyrocket up that list, I assume, if they go back-to-back then. If, if, yeah, because I'd imagine the uh, the 2021 championship will be later than usual yeah. as well as we, we bump the start of the, the next season back as well. So uh, they could they could get as high as, uh, what are we looking at here? They could get as high as six if they okay. win a, a second one here. <laughs> so something else on the line down there in Orlando. All right, I love this list. Top 10 moments in Canadian basketball history. You had James Naismith who is also hung like a horse, inventing basketball. <laughs> Bennett and Wiggins, that was an old shout-out for the Basketball Jones fans. Bennett and Wiggins going number one in consecutive drafts. The Raptors' first ever game. We named all ten players that played in it. <laughs> Captain Canada winning back-to-back MVPs. Shout-out to Steve Nash. The Miracle on Hardwood we learned about at the 83 University Games. Vince's 2000 Slam Dunk Contest, iconic. Canadian women clinching Olympic berth on Canada Day in 2012. Canadian men beating Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico to actually qualify for the 2000 Olympics. They hadn't done that in a long time, and they haven't done it since. The shot from Kawhi at number two and number one, that's a no-brainer. The Raps winning the 2019 NBA championship. That was a lot of fun, Blake. Thank you so much. Do you have anything planned um, for what, of course, is going to be a very weird Canada Day with, uh, obviously, restrictions and social distancing and all that? Yeah, not really. I probably, you guys know me, I'll probably, like, do some work on draft profiles for guys the Raptors might get at number 58 or something like that. Uh, no, I mean, Canada Day, as a... Can I get, like, a little political on here? Or is that, 100%. Is that okay? Let it rip. Just, yeah, as, as a... Like, in adulthood, as you kind of do some relearning about what Canada's history is actually like compared to um, what we learn in elementary school and high school, um, you know, our, our history as a country is not as, as shiny as we sometimes like to think. And I don't I don't mean that to say Canada Day, you know, celebrating your Canadianness isn't worth celebrating. Um, that's a bad sentence, but you get what I mean. Uh, <laughs> but I do think, you know, it, it's important to use this day to reflect a little bit on what Canada Day means and where we are as a country right now in terms of our colonial history and our treatment of our indigenous population. So uh, in addition to probably enjoying a couple beers and, and a couple highlight packages on some number 58 prospects like you know canadians kareem maine or or uh, uh isaiah mike or, or something like that um plan to do some reflecting and some reading on you know what our country's history really is and what canada day you know what what canada day means for our indigenous population versus what it means for us who who have the privilege to celebrate uh canada for only its good things so uh, i would encourage everyone to um do the same and give some thought and, and reading to that if you have time on your canada day as well Hell yeah. Very well said. Um, and if you can do it while you're uh, sipping on a Molson, I mean, Lee would be upset, but that's fine. I think everyone else would respect it. Uh, and yeah, as you said, too, beer. You know, as you said, well, organ- uh, Mill Street Organic, will that work for you, Lee? I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> give me a Rickard's Red. <laughs> oh, Rickard's Red, that go right through you, man. Um, Brewed by Molson. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> as I mentioned off the top, though, Blake, this 
actual article. It's going to drop on The Athletic on July 1st on Canada Day. So make sure you uh, go show Blake some love and go check that out. Um, you you know, you did a great job of breaking it down, but you, you're, you're, you're so... You're so talented, obviously, as a writer, and you really, really like set the scene for some of these. Maybe that you don't, that some of the listeners don't know about. So go check that out. Be a polite Canadian too, right? And leave them a kind <laughs> message in the comments. I don't think we're asking too much there. Uh, Blake, what's the best way for listeners to follow your stuff, though? Yeah, uh, at Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. Um, hopefully, you guys know my work with the Athletic, covering the Raptors and some of the Canada basketball stuff. So uh, check myself and Eric Kareen out there. Uh, we also have our Raptors podcast on the Athletic Network, uh, Raptors Reasonableists, where uh, you know we've been doing some obviously uh, stuff with the reseeding schedule and the return to play. But we also had uh, Matt Devlin on a couple weeks ago to to relive the championship and talk about some of what Taz was talking about with the the way the game ended and how oh. challenging that was for for someone like Devlin who can't you know can't let that Canada the championship is yours out uh, a moment too soon. So um, check us out there as well. And what's this other podcast, my man, that you uh, you're working on the music one? Yeah, so I have a, a music podcast I co-host with my friend uh, Jake Goldsby, who some of you may know as uh, Drake's friend from Degrassi in the uh, the Drake years of Degrassi. Oh, wow. uh, so we have a, a music podcast called Columbia House Party, where we kind of every week we go back uh, to an album we either really loved or was really important to the the pop punk or emo or indie music scenes. Uh, sometimes we have guests on and they just pick the album, but it's just like a one hour kind of reflection on that album and what it meant to us and what it meant to the to the genre and kind of explores, you know, how we connect to music and how we all use music to to connect to each other. That's cool. Columbia House Party. Check that out as well, guys. All right, Blake, thank you so much. Happy Canada Day. Everybody stay safe out there. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Embrace the day, people. One thing I know about the rest of my life. I said I'll share the rest of my days